This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guest today, we're uh, super honored and excited to welcome Terry Bobois, CEO at BKS Building Knowledge Systems. Terry has also authored a special section in the July-August 2022 issue of Architect Magazine, the official publication of the AIA on advances in software for architects and the approaching technological opportunities for architects in the near future. You can find him on the web at bksco.com. Again, that's bksco.com. Terry, welcome. Thank you very much for being here. Really happy to uh, and excited to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. It's, it's great to be with you again. Terry, as we talked just before we came on the show, there's a, uh, feel free to introduce a little bit more about yourself because there's so many accomplishments, accolades, and credentials that you have. I thought it'd be a great opportunity to share how you want to present that to your listeners for your show today. Sure. It's an exciting year for me. It's actually two things being celebrated um, in addition to what we're going to be talking about. But uh, the first one is the 40th anniversary of the San Francisco Ballet Building, which I was architect of record uh, for. And um, the design architect for that project was Beverly Willis, a very famous female architect who's done really well um, in architecture and was a real pleasure to work with on that project. And then it's also the 10th anniversary of our um, EcoSmart house up in Montana, in Bozeman, Montana that was an award-winning house at the time um, where we set uh, a goal in uh, the Creative Research Lab, which I was teaching uh, and the founder of up in uh, Bozeman, Montana at Montana State University. And it was a great time because I was working with architects, musicians, filmmakers, photographers, and artists in the school, in the college that I was in. Plus we also got to work with engineers and business school uh, students and uh, education students as well. So it was multidisciplinary in all senses of the word, which I really see every architectural project that we do. It it, it involves collaboration with multiple disciplines. Um, and that's really one of the joys of architecture. We get to work on so many projects that engage so many different kinds of people because of our clients and because of the pro- nature of the project. Um, so, and that's part of what, you know, creates the momentum to today where um, I had the opportunity to review some developing software technology like I did in the 90s. In the 1990s, I wrote some sections in in, uh, Architectural Record Magazine, which was the AIA official publication of the time. And I wrote about, you know, starting with like digital cameras and the advent of virtual reality and... um, uh, laptop computing. I beta tested Photoshop. Um, it was an exciting time. And by the end of that decade, we were all doing websites and um, 
being involved in the internet and email and things like that. So we have a comparable situation today where there's going to be an acceleration of technology that I think is even more valuable for architects and engineers and contractors uh, because it's going to be the evolution of the 3D internet, which is getting a lot of attention uh, and is sort of the focus, the starting focus of the, the article that I wrote for Architect Magazine this month. Step into that more, the uh, the more value, the evolution of the 3D internet. Share what that means to, to our audience who may not be familiar with the, the terminology or the language at this point. Sure. Um, be happy to, because it's really exciting and it's really what architecture is all about. Architecture is a very three-dimensional sport, right? I mean, our product is something that you can actually walk into and look around and you live in or work in or use in one way or another. So up until now, um, and I started in architecture before computers, so I was using all hand drawings and you know slide rules and T-squares and um, uh, vellum paper. And um, you know now we're talking about technology that's going to allow us to design the way we think and also to share that information in our offices with other people that's very three-dimensional. So it's really communicating the architecture. It's not a sketch or a drawing anymore, but we certainly will continue to use those. I think hand drawing is very, very important and sketches and drawings are, are you know, excellent tools and all part of the sort of arrows in the quiver of architects. Um, and so I think we'll see though, the benefit of what's happening the digital transformation that's going on across the world in all industries is happening and it's underway. It isn't just architecture, it isn't just the AEC, and it isn't just the companies that we work with, it's everywhere. And so as the all the boats are being you know, raised in the tide of digital transformation, the thing that excites me the most about it is we're making this transformation from a 2D internet, which is pages of text, images, and video to what is going to be the 3D internet, which is allows us to do things because architecture is very three-dimensional, as I was saying, and we have been portraying them in two dimensions, um, plan, elevation, sections, um, you know, for centuries, decades, in, in, uh, now, in recent years in, uh, in, in CAD and BIM, but we're going to be moving into the ability to exchange information between architects and engineers and contractors in three dimensions with three-dimensional objects where that we can send and receive them like we do with text documents today and like we do with um, looking at things on the internet. And those 3D objects, you know, uh, will, as you can probably anticipate, include, you know, building products. Um, it'll include textures from, you know, material suppliers that are very accurate as opposed to just being generic. And so the art of architecture, as far as collecting information, if you can imagine a suites catalog that's filled with 3D objects that you can just drag mm. and drop onto your drawings, as opposed to what we have to go through now. Because even today, like if I go to a product manufacturer's website, I'm hunting around looking for the 3D object, you know, area. 
And then depending on how they've saved them or what kinds of um, file formats they've used in saving them, they may be useful or not. I mean, every once in a while I get an object, I drag it onto my drawings and the front of the stove is purple and the sides are green and the top is blue. <laughs> I, I've never had a product that sure. I wanted to look like that. So part of it is just all of the aspects of the AEC, including the people we work with before architecture, you know, and those people are banks, financial organizations, real estate, real estate developers, all of those people are going through this digital transformation. And then there's architects, engineers, and contractors sharing and exchanging information back and forth. That's all three-dimensional, but it's then flattened into sort of two-dimensional drawings for us to look at. There are the people in the review and approval organizations, such as cities and towns and, and uh, counties and states that have to look at this information and approve it. And then, you know, we're getting help from contractors and design consultants that we integrate into the drawings. Um, and then those go to contractors who have to look at them and then figure out what's really going on in three dimension and make it happen in real life in three dimension. So the, the product really is three dimensional and we've just been flattening it out into two dimensions at various stages of the journey from the beginning of the project to the end. And then after the building is completed, there's a huge handover of digital information now, usually on CD-ROMs, but all of the documents that have been created during construction, which are construction period changes, you know, all of those things have to be recorded and um, uh, sent to the, the owner of the building and their operator and their building managers have to take that information and do something with it. And so they have to go from 2D to 3D. And if, if, I mean, we've all been in buildings where you can't even find the room number that you're looking for, right? Sure. Because just the act and the art of numbering buildings and rooms, rooms in buildings um, is, seems to be eluding many of the, I mean, I've walked around campuses lost and everybody I asked for, where is room you know, 223 has no idea where it is. In fact, that is what caused Richard Saul Horman to start on his journey that ended up with him creating the TED Talks. He was lost in a hospital. His mother was very, very ill and he was looking for her room and he couldn't find it. And he said, I'm an architect and I'm inside a building and I'm lost. So this is like, this is something that has been going on for thousands of years. Architecture is one of the oldest uh, industries on earth. And I think if we look at what the opportunity is for us to work in three dimensions, on these three-dimensional objects. And then what I'm finding, I've already done a project where we used um, what's called real-time um, software, real-time visualization software, which is what I write about in the um, issue of Architect Magazine. It's like, I was able to, while I was on a Zoom call, and this will bring us up to date because during the pandemic, you know, many people started using Zoom that hadn't used it before, and many people started using it more often than they had used before. But I did a project where the clients were on the East Coast. I've never met them in person. We designed a house for them that's being constructed now. It's getting the windows put in currently in Bozeman, Montana. I've been to Bozeman, Montana, so I know I know where the lot was. I've been there, but I didn't have to go there during this trip. The contractors were in, in Bozeman. And during the, the, because we had this 3D visualization software, we were able during a Zoom call 
that if the client wanted to move a wall or add something or change something, we could do it in real time with them watching. It wasn't like, oh, <sighs> let me make that change and I'll get back to you next week and show it to you. And I can just tell by your reaction, you know, you know exactly what I'm yes. talking about, right? It's that real-time nature and the 3D nature of what architecture really is. And the two things that happened during that project was um, the homeowner was getting an experience that they would normally only get during a walkthrough or during the completion of construction. I mean, you're spatially immersed in the, in the 3D space. We were able to do something where we took a uh, window wall and we were talking, we were trying to explain to them, well, if we use a steel frame, we can add, we can have more glass than if we can, if we, if it's um, framed conventionally with wood studs, but it will cost more. And of course their first question is, well, how much more? So I, we have to talk, we have to show what, what this looks like to the structural engineer. So with this software, we were able to construct both the stud wall version and the steel wall version show it to, the, to the, the structural engineer, show it to the client. Everybody came to the same conclusion, but we had to, to responsibly say, okay, this is the steel solution. It's better because there's more glass, but it'll cost this much more. They instantaneously approved the solution because we could show everything in 3D. And then we showed it from the second floor balcony, looking across the great room, which is this two-story room, looking out the back windows at the mountains that are the whole reason they bought the lot in the first place, because it's got this beautiful view of the, the mountains in Montana. So, you know, to me, it's more like allowing us to immerse ourselves and our, you know, the people that we're working with in our office, um, collaborating with, uh, and engineers, the contractor, the homeowner. And then we even got to the point where we were able to, um, the homeowner mentioned that they had inherited some Western art and that they were going to put it throughout the house. And so I said, can you provide me with JPEGs, you know, sure. uh, of the, them and tell me what the sizes and the dimensions of are in real life. And they sent those. And so in the next meeting, we had placed the art around the house in the places they thought they wanted it. Okay. And their reaction was, we feel like we're moving into the house already. And we hadn't even finished design drawings. You know, we hadn't done the construction documents yet, but we can show this during the visualization part of the design in such a way that the people really get the spatial information they need. And it's really, I think, um, you know, we've done this forever. You have to convey to the client or to a review board what it's going to look like and what it's going to be like to be there. But um, it's getting to the point of where, um, and it's completely because there's this convergence of the technology that's been used in film and video, the technology that's being used in computer games, the technology that's being used in automotive. You know, I talked to, a, a, I was on a team that was being interviewed for, by one of the major um, automotive companies. They're thinking of replacing all of their showrooms with these online experiences where you can actually pick a car out, change the color of the car, get in and drive it, and then order the car. So it's not just a, a, a world of 3D that's only for architecture, but there probably will be an architecture firm that knows how to design an automobile showroom in this 3D metaverse or you know, internet capability. 
Uh, and that's an another aspect of this that, that gets me really excited is I think it's expanding the amount of work architects can do. Certainly the ones that are interested in uh, designing buildings that can be displayed over the internet in 3D to their clients. And, and then their clients can have useful environments that they can then do what they want to do with it, which is if you're a clothing store or an automotive showroom or whatever, architects will be involved just like in real life will be involved in the 3D internet versions of all of these buildings. Because there's venues right now, like the Atlanta Baseball Stadium, the new one. They have a version of that that's going to be going into what I'm calling microverses. Because I think the with the recent announcement about the metaverse, a lot of people think it's going to be one big thing and one company's going to own it. It's all going to look the same. And that's just not going to happen. Just like there isn't anybody who owns the internet or now. There'll be a lot of what are the equivalent of websites, but there'll be more like three-dimensional worlds that you can walk in and look around and see what the buildings are like and do things that I'm talking about, whether it's shopping or enjoying music, going to an event. Um, all the things we do in real life, we'll be able to do, in addition to doing them in real life, we'll be able to do them in these 3D internet worlds. Excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. We're talking today with Terry Bobois, CEO at BKS, Building Knowledge Systems. For more information, feel free to visit their website at bksco.com. Again, that's bksco.com. Terry, I know you've talked about uh, some of the projects that you're working with, and obviously you're very excited, rightfully so, and uh, we talked prior to you uh, coming on the show about the San Francisco Bay Area and how it's always been ahead of the probably the planet in innovation. And you feel now it may be even more so than it when you arrived in the, in the uh, mid to late seventies. Well, I think the technology is, but I think it's more global and worldwide. It's not just limited to Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley was a starting point. It's really exciting, but there were points in, you know, there were places in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan and Boston and different places in the country that all, uh, Seattle, you know, that all benefited from the growth of the, the um, Silicon Valley types of technology. And I've been in, involved in, in similar things in Japan and Finland and, and in different places in Europe. So it's not, it, it isn't um, Just, as concentrated yeah. in Silicon yeah. Valley that it used to be. And then a lot of people from Silicon Valley are moving to like Austin, Texas or different places. Um, sure. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a broad technology now. Um, uh, it isn't just limited, but it, there's still a lot going on here and it's fun to be here. It's a very exciting area. But what I do is I, I get to see a lot of the early versions of things. So I'm alpha testing or beta testing some software. So I'm still seeing that. And I'm just seeing stuff right now that is just, it's so architectural in my mind. You know, I'm just <laughs> delighted to be an architect at this point in history where we're going to be getting real 3D tools to do our design and communication and uh, projects in. What's the impact for the materials in, in all of this? Significant because the, I remember uh, when I did the San Francisco Ballet Building, we actually had a specialist to write all of the specifications for the building. He was like a professional spec writer. And the amount of research and selection 
And even back then, it was like digging out the information about products and whether they had certain characteristics or not and analyzing and evaluating them, where in the future, it isn't there now, but it's certainly going to be heading in that direction. Um, being doing product selection just by stating what the attributes of the product are that you want with the combination of things like uh, Google search capabilities and Wikipedia and a lot of other, you know, technology, uh, artificial intelligence is coming in strong in all industries and certainly coming into the uh, AEC as well. And then there's terms that we might be coming familiar with, like digital twins, where uh, which can be applied to the actual whole building itself, or it could be just applied to, you know, an oven in a ki in a kitchen, you know. It's something that you can drag and drop into the drawings. And it is exactly, it's not a um, representative object like a generic stove. It is a specific, you know, serial numbered data provided um, product from a specific manufacturer that can be ordered off of the drawings that, that are being created. Can you share some examples? You know, I don't know if you're at liberty to share names, but uh, some of the... Uh, the software and the, the the source that wasn't available even two, three years ago? Well, I happen to be working with um, Epic Games and their software, Twin Motion and um, um, Unreal Engine. And Unreal Engine is the game engine that created Fortnite. And, you know, oh, Fortnite, they've had like 5 million viewers and, and uh, it has incredible capabilities that we want to have in the AEC. And then I like Twin Motion, the software they have for architects. It was actually designed by two architects in France. And you can feel it when you're working with it. You're going, wow, wow, this feels like an architect designed it because it's doing what I wanted to do. And it's doing it in real time. I don't have time to say to my client, I'll get back to you next week with after I figure out how to manipulate my CAD and BIM program to do what it is I want to show you. You know, so the, this idea that we can still using existing CAD and BIN programs, but importing that into a real-time visualization program that allows us to add trees and add people and add music and add you know, animations that we can't do in a typical BIM or, or CAD program. But then the clients have an experience of what it's like when the building is done and what it would be like to be in these spaces. You know, so that a restaurant looks different than an office you know, because you can feel, get a sense of what the environment is like. Wow. Just wow. What uh, recent projects, I know you talked about the, the, the Bozeman projects, but what recent projects, if you're, again, at liberty to share, upcoming that you're really excited about? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to visit the house in, in Montana that's under construction right now. And what I'll do is I'll put together a before, during, and after kind of uh, package of that information to further uh, convey what you and I are talking about today, because I think people need to see it. I mean, architecture is a real show me kind of sport, and I'm happy to encourage architects, but also show them, share everything I know with anybody who's interested in, so they can be doing the same thing themselves. It's not like this is a secret mission and I can't reveal what I'm doing. <laughs> yes. but, um, I, I think it's fair to, to show people uh, what the benefit is. Because I, th I think the you know, architects will get it right away. Part of the thing that I did for the special section in Architect Magazine is I interviewed architects that are using 
uh, this software in their projects already. And I think that's a great benefit. It isn't just me telling somebody, I think they should try this. Um, and I interviewed a, um, a small firm, a medium-sized firm, a large firm, an international firm with 20 offices worldwide. Wow. And they all they all, all sort of provided the same message without any prompting from me because I wasn't driving what their experience was. I was just following up with them so they could relate them uh, uh, to the readers through my article. And it was just everybody had the same comment to make because even as an architect to have the experience that you only get through a walkthrough during construction or the final, you know, the, the walkthrough after completion mm -hmm. during the design phase is, is, is wonderful. I think that's the value added to architects. We don't have to just be looking at a sketch and trying to imagine what it's really going to be like. We can walk through it and look around and, see if something's too close or too far away or the ceiling's too low or whatever. It's that spatial quality that all architecture has. And it doesn't have to be a surprise or held off until the end of, of, the, of the project anymore. I mean, we can look at it. Some people are using, I'm not a big user of goggles. You know, I don't, okay. you know, I'm, I'm happy to look at the screen. I can get the sense of what the space is like and I can move through and do those kinds of things. But some people uh, like using um uh, VR goggles, and then they're immersed in it. And it's like an oh, wow experience. And you can see them walking around. And one of the clients even had people in wheelchairs, um, you know, use the VR goggles and look around and then try ramps and things like that so that uh, the they could be um, showing the client during the design phase that what they were um, proposing would meet ADA requirements and um, not um do anything negative to this historic building that didn't meet current standards as far as ADA but was going to be brought into compliance and so they wanted to see it ahead of time before they said yeah go ahead and do that and so there's there's that kind of bringing the client into the collaboration of designing the spaces by showing them what it's going to be like when it's done during the design phase that raises your confidence level as an architect i mean it's not um, a negative experience, like, oh, I don't want the client looking at my drawings too early and telling me <laughs> what the building should be like. It's a, it's one that you get comfortable with because you really do want to please the clients at any phase of the drawings. Um, and But you do have to manage it. And that's what I think architects, responsible architects can do that. They can manage this uh, responsibility of showing what the building's looking like when they want to. They don't have to show it too early. They don't have to you know, show it to everybody. They can work with the engineers and, their, and the interior designers and decide how their teamwork works. And it can reflect their practice, the way it's set up currently, but it can also incorporate it into something that everybody can view, um, even from a distance, because you can look at this on a phone, you can look at it on a, a tablet, you can look at it on a, a, a regular computer or laptop, and you can look at it some firms are getting these huge screens, huge displays. You know how big the TVs are now? Sure. Well, some of them are putting two or three or four of those together. And then you're almost immersed just by standing there in a group of people. You can almost be immersed in the building and get a sense of what it's like to be in there in the human to building scale of things just because the screens are so large. And um, we show some of those in the article that um, I'm referring to in Architect Magazine. Excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast with Sierra Clad. 
We're talking today with Terry Bubois, CEO of BKS Building Knowledge Systems. For more information, feel free to visit the website at bksco.com. Again, that's bksco.com. Terry, what would you like to share with your audience today, um, whether it's BKS or any other um, fascinating uh, facets of your professional and personal career that that we haven't talked talked about or touched on in today's show? Well, I think one of the exciting things that's an aspect that's an obvious extension of this is that university architecture schools are picking up on this, and some of them are going to be leading the way because, quite honestly, with some in some situations, um, and I like to to uh, include this in what when I'm talking about these projects. Sometimes the students are more interested, more capable, and further immersed in this technology than the professors are. It's wow. just an it's just a vertical collaboration that I'm looking forward to um, because I find that it, in all stages of your life and your career, you gain additional knowledge and experience, but at the same time folding that back into new architects that are coming into the profession and getting their enthusiasm and their interest in this technology. Um, uh, one of the schools I feature happens to be the school I went to. And I think there's a relationship between why I'm so interested in technology and why University of Michigan is uh, where they are with technology. They have an XR program in their um, university. It's a university-wide program. And then I was able to talk to an associate professor at the University of Michigan who has classes in, in uh, uses lots of different software. It isn't like somebody should only use one software package. Um, there's lots of different things to consider. But in the in the uh, list of software he uses, he does use Twin Motion and Unreal Engine. And he uses it as a teaching tool as well. He said, you can teach a class on steel or concrete or glass, but instead of having people falling asleep in an auditorium watching a slideshow, <laughs> the students actually can move into the space. He's designed some almost showroom type spaces where the students can pick up an I-beam and learn about the characteristics of it or learn about the characteristics of how plywood is made or learn about glass and its characteristics and things like that. So it's more uh, an involving the student in the information as opposed to lecturing the student the slides and having them you know, read a chapter in a book or something like that. And that's why I think the excitement of being in the space then extends to the people that are going to be your architects in the future and they're learning and bringing into architectural firms themselves this capability, this interest. And um, it also elevates a student coming into an architectural firm when they have skills that is contributing to the total range of skills that that firm has. Because I know that a lot of these people are graduating and are being very welcomed into the architectural firms that are sort of reading about this technology, but they're going, how the heck are we gonna you know, make this transition or learn how to do that? Excellent. Terry, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much for being here, really. Oh, the pleasure is mine. It's always wonderful to talk with you and have an opportunity to talk to your audience. Well, thank you again, Terry. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Syriclat. Our guest today has been Terry Bobois, CEO at BKS Building Knowledge Systems. Terry's uh, also authored a special section in the July, August 2022 issue of Architect 
magazine, the official publication of the AIA, on advances in software for architects and the approaching technological opportunities for architects now and in the near future. For more information, feel free to visit bksco.com. That's Terry's firm's website, bksco.com. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast with Sarah Clatt. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is recorded from the office of Sarah Clatt in Redmond, Washington, and on location. Executive producer and host of the show is yours truly, Tom Durrell. Thank you for listening.